Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week, I, I did not see this coming, but this is one of my very favorite conversations I've ever had since doing this show. We are talking to singer Dolette McDonald this week. Now, if you were paying attention to music in the 80s, especially like videos and things, you would have seen Dolette's face pop up on a lot of things. Most notably, she sang with the Talking Heads for a while in the early 80s, and then she sang with Sting for a while during his first couple of solo albums. You may remember there was a documentary made on his kind of going solo period called Bring On The Night. She's featured heavily in that movie. We talk all about it in here. So you may recognize Dolette's face. She sang with Sting on those Amnesty International tours that were going on in the 80s as well with Peter Gabriel, Tracy Chapman. We talk about her in here. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Yusu Endor. Anyway, she just had a sound and a look that was very striking during that period. Well, I've always wondered, what is Dolette McDonald's story? And so I tracked her down to chat with me. And it is one of the most revealing and interesting conversations I've ever had. She uh, struggled mightily with her sexuality for years. And uh, a lot of that had to do with coming to terms with it, coming to terms with her religious upbringing. And she's now out and married to her partner. It's beautiful. She, uh, we also try to get, she tells some super insightful stories on some of these personalities of the people that she's worked with, like Sting, like David Byrne. She sang on this song right here, or did she? If you love someone, set them free. She's not entirely sure. And there's a really interesting dynamic to, well, you'll learn all about it. What she sang, what she didn't, why. Uh, it's, uh, it's so interesting. Along the way, there's also some excursions with Tears for Fears, ABC, possibly the Rolling Stones, Laurie Anderson, even Donny Osmond makes an appearance in here. I, uh, I loved this conversation. I loved it. And it, I just, I hope that you will too. You will learn some things about people, about rock stars that you like, about Dolette and her, her journey, and just what it means to be alive in here that you won't find anywhere else. I really loved it. She called me from her home in Savannah, Georgia. Okay, well, as I was saying, I've been wanting to do this for a long time because your face was one of those faces that I felt like I saw consistently throughout the 80s. And, yeah. um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the white guy in Salt Lake City, I had a little bit of a crush. And wow. so, yeah, yeah, you know, you were reaching this little white guy in Salt Lake City, you know, young guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, uh, I've just always thought, what is the Dolette McDonald story? I would love to know more about her. And so I'm really grateful that you're going to come on here with me. Um, yeah. I don't always start from the beginning, but in your case, I do want to ask um, a, a question specific to, I believe your mom was a, an evangelical preacher or something yep. like that. Yeah. Okay. So were you one of those people whose voice they, you were, you found your voice in the church at a young age and kind of put on a pedestal as like one of the all-stars in the congregation or how did that work? I, well, part of that is, is right. I was about, I would say in the first grade and my mother didn't know I could sing, mm. but my music teacher did. And she invited my mom to assembly where I sang the Lord's prayer. Ooh. And a light bulb went over my mother's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how can I make more money? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> because <laughs> we were, 
a low-income family. Uh-huh. My my dad was the only one working. My mother had seven children between uh-huh. the ages of 32 and 42, and I was the baby. So I my mother had apparently joined the church um, when I was a year old or so. And she started developing in the Pentecostal church at that time. And she, you know, moved up from being a regular church member to a sister mm-hmm. to a, and he, all of that, you know, up mm-hmm. to make a long story short, she started traveling and preaching basically. Okay. And I was her opening act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to see this little kid, you know, um, singing with, you know, just like this big voice, which it wasn't really that big. It just appeared mm-hmm. because I never had a really big voice, mm-hmm. but, um, that's how it started. Okay. And, and so, yeah, my mother used me to, to, uh, so the offering could be bigger. Nice. Now, one of the things I find really funny about your history is that um, before being a singer, you worked the phones in a phone sex company or something like that. What, what's the story there? Well, I was, um, I lived in New York uh-huh. and I bought the um, music magazines uh, that, you know, the audition magazines backstage and show business and all of that, mm-hmm. because I was auditioning. I was trying to work my way around the scene there. And I, there was a job, uh, an acting job, I thought. Oh. And uh, I went and I auditioned. <laughs> uh-huh. And the script was interesting. I bet. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, I, I took the job because the money was really good and it supplemented the income I was not making from singing. Yeah. And and I also I was the I was also the one that um, would be on television one day and go to my temp job the next because uh-huh. I I believed in working I still right. do I've always believed I I couldn't sit around and wait for the next gig mm-hmm. so that was I think at that time I was singing backup for Sissy Houston mm. um, Whitney Houston's mom if you don't sure know. yep. And, um so that was yeah it was an interesting job in that i was there in the place that all of this was happening oh my gosh yeah so <laughs> i was at my phone bank and there was all sorts of things happening around me and i had to pretend to ignore it right and um i stayed there until one day i got a phone call and someone because I had to pretend to be these various women. Mm. That's how I got the people in, and I got a percentage of each person that came in. That's how I got paid. Yeah, you were like on commission, right? Right. But what? Right. So you lure them with your voice through the exactly. phone to come into the place. But once they come in, someone else Egg. the deed somewhere else. Exactly, okay. and that was great until. Someone called and said, I know who you are. Oh. And they recognized, and they told me exactly what I had on. Oh, no. And yeah, and it was pretty scary. And I never went back. Yeah. And, and read in the newspaper a week later that they got busted. Oh. Yeah. 
Wow. Good for you. Yeah, my guardian angel has always been there with me. And no I've always, kidding. Yeah. And uh, it was really, I, it, it, there was uh, in the New York Post, actually. Wow. What there year was, would this have been? Do you remember? This, in the late 70s. Okay. I would say 77, 78. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to dwell on this too long because there's lots. Of, it, this is not a sex podcast; this is a r music podcast. But I do have one. Funny, <laughs> it is. And uh, I'm in that. I mean, are you sitting at a cubicle in an office environment, and there are rooms where no, the women take? It was the, in an, what does it it was in like? an upscale New York apartment on in Midtown. Huh. With a, with a doorman. Okay. And I was in like the foyer. Okay. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it was, and then they had three bedrooms and three bathrooms and. Wow. Yeah. What a life. Oh my gosh. You, you do what you gotta do, man. You do, right? Right? I get it. That's so good. Now, so what came along that sort of, you know, saved you from this? Was it the Michael Zager band? recorded with them but what really helped was uh, a group it was a disco group called the um oh god what was the name afro-cuban band no that was michael zager okay oh sure sure of course um, uh, but anyway there was this group that i i toured with actually sang backup for and um it was called the bombers oh okay and, and that kind of was a stepping stone because through those auditions, what would happen, I would audition for theater mm -hmm. and the producers would always say I could sing, but I could not dance. Oh. And it was always the singers who danced. Yeah, okay. And I didn't have the formal dance training, mm -hmm. but in the audience would also be uh, record producers and people like that. So that's actually how I got some gigs. Okay, okay. Record. Yeah. Um, now, you never having put out a solo album is something that's this thread that needs to have been rectified at some point, but you... And we'll touch on that a little bit more later, but there was a single in here somewhere called Extra Special, correct? Yeah, yeah. That is so good and so funky, by the way. I'm so lost in your love. 
Tell me about that. When did that, how did that even happen? And why wasn't there more? There was uh, my dear friend, Buster Jones, who I worked with with Talking Heads as well, Mm -hmm. um, met this gentleman called Ben Sekic. And Ben Sekic was, I I call him a rogue producer Mm. because he would find these songs and just record them. Now, information about Extra Special, I just found out uh, about a year and a half ago that this group in England had just put it out. Hmm. And Ben Sekic heard it and we recorded it. Buster Jones actually told him about me. Really? Yeah, and we recorded it. And there was, seems to be a lot of drama about that because uh, the the band that originally recorded it did not get the opportunity to promote it because Mm. Uh, the one we recorded blew up. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> so, I mean, I you didn't win know. You lose some, you lose some. Half ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yours so, is such a great version. Um, oh, you. So, Buster Jones actually was instrumental in um, me getting that gig. And, and you know, quite frankly, it was just a gig to me. I was, I was never looking for an album I was never looking to be a solo artist I just wanted to work and mm-hmm. uh that's why I guess it didn't go any further because I didn't I had no interest because hmm. yeah I was reading interviews with you throughout the years and every now and then it's peppered in like yeah I'm gonna get I'm gonna put out a, a solo album or I'm working on a solo album but I know that that never that. came <laughs> that you had to say that yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> I wondered, like, where's the solo album? Okay. Yeah, but that's <clears throat> my management told me never say I didn't want to, you know. Uh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Wow, interesting. So Busta is the bridge to the Talking Heads, correct? Yeah. Okay. Busta Jones, my biggest cheerleader. Um, yeah. Okay. A man who I absolutely loved and adored because you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. Really? See, I don't yeah. know him that well, and I saw his name in researching you. I'm going to have to do more digging. Yeah, Buster's no longer with us. Really? I wish, I wish he had taken better care of himself. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. know, yeah. yeah, he got caught up in the whole drug scene oh, and man. ended up losing his life that way. But you know, he he, um, I owe him a lot. I really yeah. do. There's not a time or a thing that I do where I don't think about him. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Talking Heads is really where things become kind of big, or at least more visible. You know, I mean, yeah. people are seeing your name and seeing your your face and videos and all that kind of stuff is yep. the first thing. I'm I'm going chronologically here. I think from off your Discogs page, but it looks like you start partnering with David on uh, the Catherine Wheel album first.
Is that right? Or how does this even work? What's the first thing you do with the Talking Heads? Live shows. Oh, uh, uh, okay. We uh, Remain in Light, I think, was the first uh, live show we toured mm. on. And it was my first gig with them. And mind you, I mean, I'm a little girl from North New Jersey, right. from the church, um, who had sung. I, I think when I started singing with Talking Heads, I was doing like bars uh. with a, a guy called Mark, Mark Sedane. Mm. And um, got this gig with the Talking Heads and had no idea who they were. Um, Buster said, I would love this gig and mm -hmm. it would give me a lot of opportunity. And I'm like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And um, my first gig with the Talking Heads was at a festival in Canada oh. um, in front of 80,000 people. Whoa! Yeah. And we got flown in on a helicopter. This is my very first gig. <laughs> Got flown in by helicopter because, of course, we couldn't drive, uh -huh. and it was the I, it was surreal. I I I just I can't even tell you whether I was good, bad, and I can't tell you what happened because it was the event of a lifetime. I believe it. And huh. that uh, that was my first gig with them, and and we toured after that. You know, normal tours and stadiums and all of that, and that's yeah. how. We grew into that album. The name of the this band is Talking Heads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They. Uh, I mean, you know, they're one of the greatest bands ever, and it feels like the longer they go without doing anything together, which will probably be, they probably never will again. They uh, won't. I know that for a fact. Really? What do you think is at the? I don't. You don't have to speak for anyone, but what do you think is at the heart of that kind of, you know, that issue? David, David Byrne's done. Really. Yeah, um, it's, I'm very good friends with Chris and Tina. Mm. Um, and one of the things I know for sure is they would love, Chris, Tina, and Jerry would love to get back together again. Yeah. David has no interest at all. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I um I saw David in concert last summer. I live in Denver, and he performed at Red Rocks. Right. And um, one of my favorite venues, by the way. I want, have you played there? You must yes. have. Red Rocks is a religious experience. It sure it? is. It's yep. not the venue. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, and you know, I, as much as I love the Talking Heads, I'll admit I've never quite warmed completely to David's solo stuff. Some of it's good, but I don't, it doesn't move me or provoke me yeah. quite like the Talking Heads did. Yeah. But I saw he, this show that he was doing, and you know, you forget that these are the, this is the same guy behind Stop Making Sense. He's a performance artist, right? Every every bit as much as a musician, and it was the greatest concert I've ever been to. Was really? what he did last year in at Red Rocks. It was the best. And I think that's the one he's going to Broadway with. Is it with the? Yeah, he's got like twelve uh, musicians with him, and none of them they they play their instruments, but none of them have chords. So right. they're not plugged into anything. They're free to move the stage and they're all in these gray suits and there's, yep. it is amazing. Yeah, like he's taken that to Broadway for a okay. couple. Yeah. Okay. Um, now you sang on the, on the Jerry Harrison album, The Red and the Black. Yeah. So you must have had good relationships with all these people um, 
you know, maybe their relationships with each other weren't the strongest. But... Exactly. Okay. I'm a firm believer in getting along with everybody, and I believe that that was one of the keys to me working in the business for so long. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I got to say for anyone, if you are featured on the um, Speaking in Tongues album, especially yeah. I think on Slippery People, that's, yeah. you're all over that. And that song is great. favorite song i as a matter of fact i have it written down to do it in in my show <laughs> really so yeah, what are you doing, doing shows well i'm i'm in act three right now really um and i moved to savannah mm -hmm. uh from florida i moved from new york to florida from florida to savannah a year ago and um i have been sort of building the desire to, in Act Three, actually do some solo stuff. Yeah. And not record, just live shows. Mm -hmm. And um, I am actually being presented uh, here in Savannah <clears throat> at the Savannah Jazz Festival in September. Nice. I'm going to do a show. Yeah, it's. I'm really honored that they asked me, and I'm uh, doing Blues Night. Mm. So, um, Slippery People might be one of the songs nice. that I on my set. Yeah. Nice. You know, yeah. I was going to save all those kinds of questions to the end, but let's. You know, you touched on it. You eventually step away. I guess I don't really know. I mean, I would think. Someone with your pedigree, I know there's not the the budgets that there were back in the day, but I would think anyone who wants a beautiful, incredible black lady singing backup for them, which should be everybody, would want the <laughs> talents of Dolette McDonald on the stage with them, no? Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting story how I disappeared. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is for personal reasons, and, okay. and I'm talking about that. Okay. Uh, I started working with a Mexican artist in the mid-90s called Juan Gabriel. Hmm. That's when I sort of disappeared because I finally found someone to work for that loved me just as I was, hmm. that did not want me to change my voice, mm -hmm. that enjoyed how I sang, which is rare. Yeah. Because I, and one of the reasons why I didn't go solo and bring me back, because sometimes I go off on tangents. 
one of the reasons why I didn't go solo was because I lost my voice. I didn't know who I was because when you sing with so many people, there's specific <clears throat> ways they sounds that they want to hear, and it's mm -hmm. usually not yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's usually yeah. what, and I was really good at adapting to the situation. I, you know, I was really lucky in that I was able to. So I went to work with Juan Gabriel, and that was when I was able to develop my own sound again. Mm. And I stayed with Juan Gabriel, I guess, through um, maybe 2005. Oh, that's a long gig for you. That's a long yeah. gig for any backup singer. Well, I stopped working for him, believe it or not. I went back and I stopped working for him two years ago. And oh. he died while we were on tour. So that's the oh, whole. That's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, I was, oh. working, I was still working with him. He called me back. He couldn't stand it because I left. Um, I got I was just tired. I was um, psychologically drained. I was too far in the closet. I was, I was um, living a lie most of my life, and I needed to find a way to live my life authentically. And that was one of the reasons why I moved to Florida to reinvent myself. When you say, I, were you literally in the closet? I don't even know. Have you come out as a lesbian? Oh, yeah. Really? I didn't know that. I'm married. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. I I've been with my wife for 10, we just celebrated 10 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And a lot of that, you know, that those things affect how you sing. They affect so many things about you. So when I moved to Florida, I went into therapy and uh, I was in therapy for seven years and I you know, I was celibate for seven. I was, I was just like, I gotta figure out who this person is. Wow. I just, I was married to three different men. Wow. I got married three times because I, it was what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, not get married three times, but no, get... <laughs> a church girl, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the expectations. Right. And and believe it or not, each one of my husbands knew that I had a propensity towards the other set. The same. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But they all said, ah, it's just a phase. We can change you. No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, no <laughs> way. Oh, yeah. I, I And I just found that very fascinating. So yeah. I said, okay. And then, you know, the things I would get bored from, of the relationship and they would end up finding, you know, another woman that appreciated mm -hmm. them more than me, which I, you know, gladly sure. said, please do, because I'm not the one for you. And mm -hmm. that's what, and that's how, you know, it just, it was a, a roller coaster of insanity that I just <clears throat> kept riding and I didn't understand why and fortunately I was smart enough to go to therapy to figure myself out wow. and when I pulled back the onion little by little the day I ended up in the corner and um, the fetal position was the day I was really released from 
all of the um, pent up. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. for you. Now, let me ask you, uh, and I hope this isn't too personal, but all of those years before coming to terms with it with yourself, was it an issue of, you know, I know that I'm gay, but I'm not ready to declare it or come out, so I'm going to live a lie? Or is it that you're confused by your feelings? Mm. Were you into men too? Or what, you know, what was at the heart of this, I don't know, this, you know, confusion, I guess? Well, I have to go back to 12 years old. Oh. I knew at 12 years old that I'm oh. like girls. Okay. My pastor's daughter and I. <laughs> mm, got it. I used to go to the pastor's house all the time. My mother was a confidant of the pastor's wife. And so I used to, as the baby child, I used to have to follow my mother everywhere. And, mm. and uh, her name was Rebecca Tharp. And uh, she and I just would um, have a great time. Mm -hmm. And I was in love with her. Good. And uh, funny enough, when I told my brother about it, he was in love with her. Mm. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so anyway, I always knew, but because of my upbringing, right. you are sort of raised to hate things like that. So okay. I actually hated myself. Yeah. Uh. And so, and, and that was one of the things that helped me in, in therapy. Yeah. Because I was homophobic. Yeah. Oh. And and it was, you know, I can say that now freely and with no judgment. That's just who I was. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't realize it at the time. But once I learned who I am, I realized that that's something they teach you in the Pentecostal church. Yeah. You know, to hate all of those things. So if I hated that, I hated me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I grew up Mormon, and we have similar issues, and uh, it's a shame. The one, I mean, you know, it's not perfect today, but I know a lot of people like you who have had this same trajectory in their life, and yeah. at least you think about how much easier life would have been if you were, if you felt at a young age that you could have just been whatever it was you were, right. naturally. Right. Yeah. And thankfully, these generations now feel that way. You they know? are so lucky. They have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> really? I uh, So good. Wow. Good for you. I had no idea that's where this story was going to go. But yeah. that is wonderful. Good for you, Dolette. Seriously. You. Um, okay, let's go back to talking about rock and roll for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so I told so, you. I told you I was going to get personal. I love it. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we can go anywhere. Um, so, okay. So now when you're working with the, you'll have to forgive. I mean, there's so much stuff on your resume here. Nona Hendricks and Bernard Edwards and a lot of people that I like, but I mean, I, I'm going to kind of, there's so much would be here for hours, but let's talk oh. about the talking heads at least a little bit longer. Okay, um, sure. Why did you end up leaving? Did you leave because they moved on artistically before Stop Making Sense? Or what, did Sting come along and that was a better gig? How did this happen? Um, we were rehearsing actually for Stop Making Sense, oh. the, the very beginning stages. And I got a call. Um, now mind you, I mean, I'm still new to the business, so I'm really not feeling my way and not understanding how it really worked. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got a call from uh, Duran Duran. Oh. 
wow. uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to go on tour with them. Oh, man. And so I thought about it and I weighed because I had a manager at the time and he's like, well, listen, they're paying you a lot more than talking heads. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went directly to David, and I said, "Listen, this." And I didn't, I didn't realize that I shouldn't have told him everything. I should have just said, mm. "You know, I have another gig, and I can get you another singer, but to replace me." I was so naive. Yeah. I just told him everything. I'm like, I got a gig with Duran Duran, and they're paying me more. <laughs> Just laying it all out there. Yeah, I laid it all out there. <laughs> and the next thing I know, my manager says, uh, the gig is off with Duran Duran. No! Um, because Gary Kerfer's talking heads manager apparently called Duran Duran's manager and told him not to hire me. Oh! Which he did not. And so I was out of gig. I was, I had nothing. Oh man. And but you know what? I'm a firm believer that everything happens exactly as it should. Mm -hmm. And um I didn't I didn't realize that at the time, but as I look back on my life, my trajectory has really been exactly the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. And so I got a call, second call from my manager saying that the police um, just dropped all their singers and they need you to be in LA in like mm. a day. <laughs> so I learned all their songs. And I still, I didn't even know who the police were. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> this is I, a common theme with you, I've noticed, because yeah. you get swept up in this kind of new wave style yeah. music and you don't yeah. know anything about these people. You don't Nothing. listen to this music, but you're nope. just a staple in their in their genre. Isn't that something? Totally. I had no idea who these people were. And so I um, got on a plane, listened. I spent the whole plane ride listening to their music. And the day we arrived in L.A., got, went into the studio and started singing. And we redid the vocals from the um, Shea Stadium concert that they did. Really? And so we had to redo those vocals, and that was my introduction to the police. First thing Sting said to me was not hello, nice hair. He said nice hair? That was yeah. the first thing? <laughs> that was the first thing he said to me. So here we are again, another band that has all the members still alive and kicking, but have such a dominant front man that they have no interest really in ever reforming. Uh, Isn't that an interesting thing? It is. It really is. I yeah. hadn't even pieced it together until just now talking to you, and I'm really, wow. Yeah. yeah, Dave Byrne and Sting, they are both such singular vision, creative yeah. visioned artists that they don't need their bands anymore, you know? No. 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 So uh, in getting ready to talk to you, I rewatched Bring On The Night, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen that in a long time. And, uh, okay, I, I love The Police. I liked the first couple of Sting albums and eventually he just, it it, it wasn't doing it for me anymore. Yeah. What what do you say to the people who think that Sting is an insufferable egomaniac? Oh, they don't know him. Really? Yeah. Do we have it wrong? Um, I can't say he's not 
he doesn't have a big ego because he wouldn't be as successful as he is if he didn't. True. But I don't think he's egomaniacal. Okay. I <clears throat> I spent a lot of time with Sting and you know, although he was always very serious, he didn't have time for small talk or, or BS. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was always, you know, reading or, or yeah. listening. You know, he he was always learning and growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that intimidates people. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to uh, Lori Anderson at dinner and one of the things we were catching up and sh and I said to her, you know, one of the things that I realize is that almost every person, every band that I worked with, they were all really smart people. Yeah, true. And they were all intellectuals. And I always felt so intimidated, but I always tried to learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's why I got along so well with Sting because I wasn't, I was just trying to learn stuff. I was yeah. you know, trying to learn and grow as well. So the people that think he's, you know, um, he's hard to, he's a hard nut to crack though. Is he? he? Just, you, yeah, you can't just, you know, be his best friend overnight. Mm. You know, he's very protective of his space. But um, no, I, the, the people that, and also in his older years, he's a lot less um, closed off than he yeah. had. I could see that. He seems to have gained a certain sort of sense of humor about himself yes. at this age. Almost like he knows that that's his persona, what I was saying earlier, and he's... Right kind of he can laugh about that now a little bit yeah. you know yeah. um speaking of that when i was watching the the movie um you know boy were those the days i there I, it starts out with this press conference i believe in france and yep. you're you're there and bradford marsalas and the whole rest of the band kenny kirkland and all these guys and there's a press conference for Sting to announce that this is where he's going now musically he's going to put together a jazz band and we're going to try and do contemporary pop music, but with a jazz thing. And I'm just right. thinking, no one, no artist today, unfortunately, would could merit having a an all hands on deck uh, press conference like that. You know what right. I mean? Nobody right. would do that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that no was... one's going to go off to a chateau in France for however long <laughs> you guys were there and just noodle around for months. Then no one does that anymore <laughs> i i have to i mean i tell people that i lived i'm still living but i lived a very charmed life you did yeah yeah i was i and it does not it's not lost on me how blessed i was yeah it is definitely not lost on me i um i think about it often you know and how that could not happen again. No, no. Um, it was, just doesn't happen again. It no. just doesn't happen these days. No, the music industry isn't doesn't have the budgets to pay for it. No artist right. is making enough money to to pay for all that kind of stuff. It just right. the guy 
Sting needed all those people to make that album. Some guy's doing that in his bedroom right now. Right. You know right. what I mean? That's right. You're it's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, I. you know, it was, <laughs> it's funny. I was watching that and I was thinking, boy, imagine even what just the catering on, uh, you know, at this French chateau must be for all these people. And yeah. you realize Sting still lives that way. Uh, yes, you guys, you guys all got to taste it for a few years there. Sting's yep. never lost it. He's still living like that, you know? That's right. That's right. Crazy. It really is, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is that I've always really liked Bradford Marsalis. He seemed a little, is he tough to get a, get along with? Because he seemed a little salty in that movie, you know? Where is salty? Is he? he he's from New Orleans. Yeah. You know, that's a, those New York, New Orleans musicians, they're all salty because they feel like they know jazz better than anybody else in the world. Yeah. And they have a real, um, I, it's hard to describe. Now, I, I know Branford well. I love him. He is um, very opinionated, mm -hmm. as is most of his family. And he comes, he has a family legacy. I mean, you know, he has a reason to be mm -hmm. who he is, you know, or mm -hmm. how he is. Mm -hmm. um, his father is a legend in the jazz world and all of his brothers play jazz and mm -hmm. his brother Witten is, you know, a legend. Totally. So, you know, it's, um, he was, Bradford at that time, I think he was 24. Oh my gosh. He was a baby. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and um, so he was full of himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could tell, which is entertaining to watch. But I thought, I hope, I wonder what that's like to work with. You know yeah. what I mean? If it's different. He, was, he, was, he is a great guy. He okay, is good. fun to be around. He is, I mean, he comes when he's in town, wherever he's in town, if he came to Naples, Florida, he would come to my house to dinner and we would hang out and have a great evening. And, nice. you know, so we have that kind of relationship. I don't, it's interesting. I don't see him like other people see him. Okay. Like okay. Um, but yes, you're right. He is salty, but I think he feels like he earned that. Yeah. Good. I like him. I want you to say good things about him so that you, everything you're yeah. saying is right in line. That's great. I love it. Um, so why? So then, you know, you're on the Nothing Like the Sun album as well. I should mm -hmm. say Be Still, My Beating Heart is a great song.
that's you i think you're featured pretty prominently on the background vocals on there Am I, right? be, I don't think i'm featured prominently in any of sting's back well true he I, he himself. So. I love that you just said that because so <laughs> i was in getting ready to talk i'm trying because like i said we're going to play certain songs and i thought let me pick out a song that really features dolette it's a, it's a sting song and yeah. I uh, I was gonna go with if you love somebody set them free and I know you're on there but yeah. when you watch the you guys doing it live right. uh, in the movie you're featured very prominently right but when you hear the recorded version you hear it's, you hear Sting like double yep. tracking himself maybe That's or whatever right, right? yeah we're on there but he's got to be louder than us <laughs> That's so his mo <laughs> Oh it's so true Oh my gosh um, he he fly. He flew us to Montserrat, and we spent all this time in the studio. And he spent a lot of money to have us there. And then the album comes out, and I'm like, "Where the hell am I?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You got to love it, though. You, I, you, I, you know, you get a paid vacation. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and there is the it's so, I can't believe you're you're saying everything that I've been sort of thinking and wondering to myself the last few days getting ready to talk like wow I don't hear Dillette as much as I thought I would even though she, <laughs> she was in all the videos I know I've seen her face but where is she on here you saying this is just confirming all of that it's great it's the truth you know it's so funny I probably wouldn't have said that 25 years ago but at 67 I don't give a shit I you know, like I love it. Who cares? Good for you. <laughs> I love it. Now you want. Now I should say that he put out that uh, "Bring on the Night" double disc live concert CD. Um, that one's a little better. I mean, you're you know, it's live. You're featured right. more on there.
I, you know, that's, that, that album gets a little noodly for me. I, I like jazz and I like Sting, but it, too much of, you know, it, it can, I don't need a song to go on for like 12 minutes. Right. With like right. jamming. That's just me though. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. So when does Sting kind of pull the plug on all this after the Nothing Like the Sun album? And what's that call like? There is no call. Okay. He just doesn't call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually how it works. Okay. You know, there is no call. It's like, on to the next thing. I hope you got a gig. I, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. He's thinking. Right. You, on to the next thing. But no, there is no call. You just do okay. do your thing. Okay. Okay. And, yep. and fortunately for me, I never expect a call. Really? Uh, I learned very early on yeah. that, you know, you you just do, you go to the next thing. You mm -hmm. just try to get your next gig, you know? Yeah. It might be, I don't know, maybe in those environments when everyone's collaborating like you did in the French Chateau in the movie or whatever, is it, is it tempting to feel as if uh, it's a democracy like you know sting um, I have an idea for this song sting or David Byrne that I think you would like or do you, it is your role to just pipe down and do what it, they tell you to do my role was to pipe down and do do um, now with David Byrne I think I I I got a little bit more freedom mm. to do uh, to be more creative okay with the talking heads, I felt freer. Okay. I felt because they they never told me how to sing. And if I added background parts, they were like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, or no, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I always felt a sense of freedom with them. And it was when I got with the police that I learned what was ahead. Okay. Because my one of the first things I learned with the police was um, Sting didn't like vibrato. Mm. Now, mm. And vibrato was my thing. Yeah. And I literally had headaches maybe the first month trying to learn how to sing with no vibrato. Huh. Oh, and Sting didn't have it, so he didn't want it at that time. Now right. he, he a little different but that was the beginning of learning who he was and how he operated wow. and um after that when i started working for him i realized that there was no suggestions or mm. you know it was very clear about what he wanted and um so yeah i i think that that stifled my creativity a little bit because yeah, because he didn't, you know, it was like, this is what I want. And the one time he allowed me, I think, and when I look back on it, he left me in the studio with the uh, engineer alone when we were recording. And I didn't do what I should have done. I should have just went for it. Mm. And kept it. I kept it very simple. I, I didn't like do my thing. I just made sure I covered all the vocals that he wanted me to cover. And um, and I look back on it and I said, I could have made my mark at that time. Mm -hmm. I did 
too afraid to because I had I had already been, you know, sort of taught, for lack of a better word, to just keep it simple. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, Sting is hiring you, you would think, well, and not just him, but any, I mean, Sting in particular in this case is hiring you, you would think for what you can bring and he wants you to bring it, but he wants to, you to edit it or change it, you know, exactly. and it kind of maybe stifles what makes you you in a little, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that was that. But with the, now it, there was a different, it was different with the musicians though. Mm, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they were allowed to just go for it and do whatever they wanted sure. to do. Mm. So, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, well. Yeah, oh, well. Well, it was a good couple of years there anyway, right? Oh, it's fabulous. Um, let me, I don't even know, I, one last thing question. I don't know if you even know the answer to this. I think I heard years ago that the song We'll Be Together on Nothing Like the Sun was done because the label didn't hear a single, as they often do. You know, you're Sting, we need something peppier. This is practically all downbeat jazz stuff you got to give us something poppy and so he went back and was like fine i'll i'll write you like just the most derivative po poppy thing i can think of we'll be together and you can make that the lead singer does any of that make sense does that sound right partially what okay. what how i remember it because we will be together we had done when we did the rest of the tunes oh, okay but it was remixed. Ah, okay. And that's when together. Yeah, there. Oh, that's that great. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. What? That wasn't you? That was not me. Sting would never let me do anything like that. And that pissed me off. So I could, and that's what I, and I think that was when I said, had I done what I, had I been myself in the studio at that yeah. time, I could have created that for him without him having to have it done in the remix. No. Yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> You're just all my all my impressions of all of this are just crumbling away every time I hear a black lady singing on a Sting song. I'm like, "There's Dolette." And you're telling me it's not. It's not that was the case. not me. That was I don't even remember who it was and when it happened i you know he he <laughs> he called me on the phone oh, no. and told me about the remix and said whoever this woman was he said oh she she did you proud <laughs> well uh, why you, didn't you oh, do me proud stay right. let me say it i was it. like dude are you serious <laughs> You oh know, God. I could have done that. Oh. All you had to say was, I want I want you to sound like a overweight black lady. Oh, that's so good. And I would have just mustered up the strength <laughs> to bring some soul into it, you know, because all my soul was gone with him. He yeah. didn't want soul. Right. And then all sudden there's all this I'm like wait what the hell <laughs> where did this come from oh my gosh that's so great oh, oh, I love it that's my we'll be together tonight story got it okay I'm, well, I'm I, still I'm still miffed about it after all these years I can tell you deserve to be I had no <laughs> idea that's what I was gonna get when I asked that question I love it 
gosh. Good. Now, okay, I, I should say I I know that Laurie Anderson was a big part of your life there for a while too. Yeah. I um I respect her as an artist. I have never quite warmed to her music. I'm not an expert in any way. But I have for... to tell you that you're not the only person. <laughs> okay. I thought it's a little too difficult and challenging for me. Yeah. Even though I think she's great. She seems like a really great lady. Her and, music um... was difficult and challenging for me as well. Ah, okay. Okay. And the hardest gig I've ever done in my life. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I don't see Lori's music as it's... I shouldn't say this. I don't see it as music in the sense of what I'm used to doing. I see it as performance art. Me too. Exactly. And so with Lori, I had to literally, I couldn't feel it. Mm -hmm. There was no, I, with most people I work with, I could feel it. So if I spaced out on it, I knew where I was. I knew where to go. With Lori, it was all mathematical. Mm -hmm. And if you were one number off, you were screwed. I believe it. <laughs> and it would screw up the whole band, the whole every, I mean, it was, it was incredibly um, technical and it was incredibly challenging. Mm. But, but I grew. Okay. I grew. Yeah. I um the, everything you're saying is exactly my feelings about her music, which again is why I don't listen to it, but why I respect what she does. And I know yeah. that she has a her devoted fa fan base. She right. married Lou Reed; he's an artist right. too. I mean, all of right. that is great. I just don't pop on Laurie Anderson for for right. kicks very often. Well, you know? <laughs> What's that? Not in the Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> okay. Well, for anyone out there who's a fan of Delets and wants to hear about Laurie Anderson, there you go. We we touched on Laurie Anderson. Right. Um, okay. Now there's a few there's a few other collaborations here that I just want to kind of ask you about, and I'm learning that you may be on there, you may not, or it may be someone else or buried in the mix. I don't know. But one of the things yeah. I want to ask you about specifically was the Rolling Stones because I think you sing on the Dirty Work album. Right. And it's like for my one of my very favorite Stone songs in general is one hit to the body. Is that you on there?
one hit to the body. You know what? I don't know. Oh, okay. It, it, now, I have to say that I don't remember the song that Janice and I did, but I did sing on that album. Okay. Um, and if I'm only on one song, that would be it. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, I didn't know if you're on all the, I, I have that album. I haven't listened to it for a long time, but um, there is, you know, again, going back, there's a black lady singing one hit to the body, one straight from the heart on the chorus of that song. And I wondered if that was you. Um, it, it, it could, it could be, I okay. mean, um, Janice and I were on tour with Sting when, when Mick came to the show and asked mm. us if we would sing mm. on his album. Okay. And, it was so quick because we were on tour and it was a quick turnaround. I don't remember the song. I don't okay. much about it other than the fact that I was exhausted and I, and <laughs> and Mick was amazing and he danced for us mm -hmm. to get it done. I mean, he was incredible. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention Janice, and you brought her up. I'm glad you did. Was she, was she now she's also singing with Sting at the time, Janice Pendarvis. Yeah. I don't know. I wondered if you two were sort of a duo, you know, like um, you hire yourselves out as a team, or did you just both happen to be involved on that one project? Janice and I met during Laurie Anderson. We did okay. Laurie together. And then uh, we did the police together. I did the police with another singer. Okay. And Sting had her come to do his solo stuff. And one day he she was gone, and uh, Sting asked me if I knew someone, so I called Janice. And okay. That's, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you two were great together. And yeah, um, yeah, I mean, she was amazing. Janice and I had a real chemistry. You did. Yeah. And and just a shout out to her. I believe she's teaching vote at the Berkeley College of Music. Yes, she is. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, okay. Somewhere in your dossier is Steve Winwood, and yeah. I don't know what. And I think I read somewhere that you were like, "Oh, that was just a paid gig." I don't even really remember that. What's the Steve Winwood story? We, um, I did uh, his Higher Love tour. Really? Yeah. His percussionist Carol Steele got me on that gig. And um, interestingly enough, I had just, this was my first gig after some, in, some horrible throat surgery I had. Mm. I ended up not being able to sing or talk for a whole year. Oh! Yeah, that's a whole, that's another story that, that was a life-changing event. I bet. So yeah, I did Higher Love, and the reason why I, I was, sort of wishy-washy about the tour was because it was the first and only tour I ever did with anyone that I didn't get to know the artist. Mm, really? So I was able to groove, you know, on yeah. stage. I just sang my parts and, you know, did my gig and there was yeah. nothing. And it, it's very interesting I, that I learned then how important it was for me to have a relationship with the artist mm. so that I can do my job properly. That makes sense. Um, so I, I've always felt, I love Steve Winwood. I'm a huge oh, fan. Me too. Yeah, me too. Um, but he has, 
seemed like such an enigma. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's one of my very dream interviews as well, just because he's so mysterious, you know? Right. Like, I want to kind of crack that shell and figure out what's going on in there. And it sounds like you barely even interacted with him very much. Very, very rarely. In rehearsal, you know, when he wanted us. Even when, um, and it's interesting because I was so scared doing that gig because Higher Love, you remember Shaka Khan sang uh-huh. I do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so were you singing the Shaka Khan parts then live? I was supposed to. Oh. And I I just froze every night. I sang it maybe once or twice. And I was so nervous and so afraid that it wasn't going to come out. I, just, I, w- I wouldn't. And instead of him coming and encouraging, well, I shouldn't say instead of him, I shouldn't say what he should have done. Mm. But what the artists that I've worked with in, you know, in my career, they would be encouraging, say, come on, girl, you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he had his sound man to come to me and tell me what to do. So I thought that was interesting. That is, that's, that's kind of weird. That's too yeah. bad. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, it was, it was an, uh, an interesting and scary time for me, but I was getting my voice back and, and of course I could sing it. I was, I was Mm -hmm. able to, I just, you know, I, I said, I didn't want people comparing me to Shaka Khan. Yeah. That would be rough. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's only one. Absolutely. No (laughs) kidding. And her voice is unmistakable. But, I mean, if anyone could have done that, it probably would have been you. I mean, I can see why he would have hired you for that gig, even if it didn't right. quite work out that way. He's right. another one. I, You know, I uh, I saw him in concert a few years ago, and he pretends that the 80s never happened. He doesn't play <laughs> Higher Love. He doesn't play Roll With It. He doesn't play <laughs> When You See a Chance. He doesn't play any of that stuff. Wow. You know, he plays uh, Back in the High Life because it was... You know, he brings out the little mandolin and he sings that right. song. Right. Uh, but he doesn't play he doesn't play or sing any of those other songs. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, okay, let me throw a couple more names at you real quick. The System, uh, David yeah. Frank and Mick Murphy. And, and Mike Murphy, yeah. Oh, is it Mick Mike? Murphy. I've always said Mick. Okay. No, it is Mick. I, is I, it? They call him, they, I don't know. I've heard Mike, I've heard Mick. Okay. Great guys. I right. love David. I've had him on the show, and I love uh, the album that you sang on Don't Disturb This Groove. I think you're on Nighttime Lover, or are you on the whole thing?
did a couple of tunes with them. God, you are taking me farther back than I expected. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. It's okay if you don't remember. I'm just looking up for things. That, you know, you, I look over you your whole did, resume. You did incredible homework. Kudos to you. Well, you're welcome. This is you sang on a lot of stuff that means a lot to me, and so I wanted to make sure I brought it up. You know. Yeah, I I sang on a few tracks, but I I can't remember all of them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But well, I'm, good to, I'm I, glad to know those good guys. Those guys, because they were great to work with. Good. They were awesome, and they're and they're still doing stuff, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yep. So. Yeah, I love them a lot. I, yeah, their stuff back in the day was so good. Um, now ABC, you're I think on the Alphabet City album. Did you sing yeah. on when Smokey sings? Wow, yeah, with Tessa Niles. Really, you're on that song? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. About that, I love those guys. I don't remember. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you. In 1987, I lived in uh, England for a year, mm. and Tessa, I, because Tessa, I met, of course, with the police, mm -hmm. and she is a dear friend of mine. So I stayed with her for a month until I found an apartment and any gig like with, with those British bands, anything like that, mm -hmm. it was because of Tessa, you mm. know, that uh, she got me and like tears for fears. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. 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 That was because of Tessa. Okay. Do yeah. you remember tears for fears are one of my favorite bands of all time? I think you're on the year of the knife. If that yeah. sounds familiar.
Are you throughout that whole album or just that song? Yes, that's it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You have no idea, Dolette. I love that. Yeah, that was so much fun. That gig was awesome. Really? Until, oh. until Roland, I think it was, said that he wanted me to sing like an old black lady, <laughs> an old black church lady. And I was so offended. Oh. I don't know why. I, I don't, I lost, I lost my mind. Mm -hmm. And what I think what he wanted to say was he wanted to hear Olita Adam. Mm -hmm. And that's who they found right after that. He wanted that type of voice. Uh, and, and, and so Olita Adams became that voice for them. It's uh, now I've had Olita on here before and um, to talk about all of this. So if they had not, um, were you sort of, would you have been the one singing on, for instance, like women, woman in chains or something? No, God, no. no I have that kind of voice. Okay. I, no, she, see, I am, I have um, a very light mm -hmm. sound. I don't have that very soulful, um, heavy Right. I wish I did, mm -hmm. but I don't. And um, so, no, I, God, I love Olita Adams. I love her too. And uh, yeah, that, that, okay, so that's interesting. So he kind of wanted you to maybe sound more like her. Yeah, and, and, and he hadn't, he hadn't found her yet. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. But he, he knew in his head what he wanted to hear. Right, right. And I wasn't even, I, I, I and I think, Part of the reason why I was offended was because I knew that I didn't have that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, now that I look back on it, I realize that I got defensive about it because I couldn't pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, it's great. Let's be honest about this. Oh, oh, that's oh so good. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Good. Um, okay, I got one more, and I and I, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I, as a fellow uh, Mormon, let's talk about Donny Osmond. Are you on there oh. somewhere? Are you on <laughs> Soldier of Love? <laughs> Donny, Donny, Donny. Let me tell you, I, I, um, the uh, producer. Oh God, what was his name? Um, I don't even know. Uh, Acogni. Acogni. Acogni mm. was his last name. Anyway, okay. he called me to do the gig. I did the gig. Donnie came in later. Then we went George Acogni. And then George had us at his house for dinner afterwards. And I think it was in Bath, England, if I'm not mistaken, because I ended up spending the night. So anytime I was at a did a gig in Bath, you had to spend the night because it was so far from okay. you know London. And Donnie came, we had dinner, and he said to me, maybe you should um, uh, use less vibrato when you sing. I said, here we go. What are you, Sting? Donnie Osmond? <laughs> I know, right? And so um, what I realized is he didn't like my vibrato. Oh. 
and and George loved everything I did. George mm-hmm. was like, I was knocking those songs out. I did five songs. I was knocking them out. And George was an, amazed at, you know, the quickness and the preciseness and me being in tune. Because one of the things that I my pitch is amazing and I'm, you know, I learn stuff really quickly. That's mm-hmm. what really kept me working because I don't really read music. So mm-hmm. um, I was blessed with an ear a really good ear and Mm -hmm. the ability to learn very quickly. And uh, Donnie didn't like it too much, though. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. I loved him. Really? Yeah, he's a great guy. Okay, good. He's he's a really good guy. Um, I actually did video with him. That that video um, Um, of that. Something in motion? Yeah. Was that it? desert or something like that yes i was so pissed off because i had a brand new 250 dollars pair of boots that they (laughs) they that they they were supposed to have this um they showered us with this hose and my boots got messed up and oh my god i was so evil with him (laughs) i was i you know that that sounds shallow but I love those boots. That is great. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> I love all this color you're bringing. I love it. <laughs> so good. Well, that's most of the stuff I had. I mean, uh, you know, I know there's millions of other things. I, uh, I was, I, I'm sure we just scratched the surface, but those are the big ones that were, you know, top of my mind anyway. Um, I guess I should ask one more thing about the Amnesty International tours that took place around kind of the same time. I remember yeah. them being. Um, they were on HBO and I recorded it and uh, I watched that thing all the time. And first up was Yusu Endor, who I think you also worked with at somewhere I along the did. line. I did, yeah. He was like the first artist on the bill, on the recording that I made, did off HBO. And I must have watched his performance every day for months. I'd never seen any, I'd never heard of him before. I'd never seen all that, all those crazy African instruments that were going on. It was yeah. one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that, he was pretty amazing. He's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and now he's some kind of diplomat. Is he really? He, yeah, I just read this recently about him. 
Um, he's some kind of in from where he's from. I think it, is it Senegal? Or yeah, I believe so. Wherever he's from, he's like become this politician. Wow. Of, yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Were though? I mean, you had to have been feeling like you were doing something very important. You know, Tracy Chapman's there, Bruce Springsteen, Peter Gabriel. Do you have any stories from that? Those shows? I got a million of them. I believe it. <laughs> I can believe it. Well, the fun part was we were able to like, I was able to go sing with other bands, mm. you know, which was a really cool part of being on that Amnesty International tour. And all of these bands on the same airplane. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. So there were no clicks. There were no, everyone was in, intermingling with each other. And, you know, just a really cool vibe because we knew we were doing something important. Yeah. You know, and there was no egos. There was no drama. It was just, I mean, pure, unadulterated fun. That is great. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to. I'm going to ask you a question, and uh, if this is too personal or weird, you tell me. We'll cut it out, okay? Yeah. Uh, did you, now that I know that you were in the closet for so long, did you become friendly with Tracy Chapman at all? Because I believe she she might still be in the closet. Maybe she, maybe I have this totally wrong. I love that you asked me about Tracy Chapman because I wasn't going to mention it. Mm. I am so glad. You know, <clears throat> and, and this is, has nothing to do with sexuality or anything. It just has to do with two black women uh, on a tour. Mm. You know, they say that Tracy's shy. Mm -hmm. I am. I'm. I'm an extroverted introvert, if that makes sense to mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So I get all of that. Yeah. Um, but the first time we were together alone in an elevator she did not speak to me really i was so hurt by that huh. uh, she got in and you know she was with her handler and and i acknowledged her and she just acted like i was not even on the planet and i don't know if it's because she's shy or whatever but mm -hmm. i kind of for me and and it's a cultural thing with mm -hmm. with black people. You see a black person, especially in in the sea of white folks, you lose mm -hmm. your mind. Yeah, you get excited. I you know. It. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> and and I've spent my life almost being the only one a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So when I when there is another mm -hmm. black person, I always make it a point to acknowledge them. And unfortunately, that didn't happen with us. And that did not stop me from loving her music, mm -hmm. from, you know, being a fan, because mm -hmm. I am. But I just thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's when you were telling me your story earlier, and I'm connecting dots. I'm thinking, I, I could see those two having long nights in their hotel rooms, yep. just talking about the stuff they're dealing with or whatever, you know, a real confidant yeah. kind of relationship. That's not. Nah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm just curious. <laughs> but I'm glad you asked that that was a way for me to get that story. Good. I'm glad you said that. I really am. Okay. Um, well, look, I, I mean, I, there's so many things I asked you in closing. Is there a story? What's your favorite story? You know, what's, when you think back on your career and you think, 
I cannot believe everything that happened to me. What's that thing? What's the thing that comes top of your mind? You know, I don't have one. Really? I I you, I honestly don't have one. Hmm. I there's a lot of stuff that a lot of things that happen, but there's nothing that like jumps out. Okay. Because I've kind of gone through my life adapting to every situation like not I, I think I've I don't know if I've been an outsider looking in and not really mm. believing that all of that was happening for yeah. me. Yeah. Um it's kind of you know what I yeah. did that make sense to sure. you? Like you're an observer uh, to your own life. Yeah, yeah. And I think mm. that but I will say that my first gig with talking heads I think stands out more than anything else I've ever done. Because, I mean, where do you go from that? Yeah, yeah. Everything else was just like, okay, another gig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been broken in. You went from the yeah. jazz club the night before to 80,000 people. That's right. Gosh. So if, if it would be anything, it would be that. Okay. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there a particular person that you met along the way that we might know that's, you know, particularly nice or maybe even not so nice? I mean, is there somebody, some personality or some artist that we would know that really stood out to you along the way? A lot of, because she's not well, well, she's pretty well known. Nona Hendrix yeah. is probably the person that really, um, tried to set me up for success. Nice. She, I, I sang background for her once. I, I met her through the Talking Heads, of course. Mm -hmm. And I started singing background for her and she kind of mentored me a little bit mm. without knowing it. I think yeah. I just latched on to her and tried to learn everything. Because she had been in the business at that time for so long and she had to reinvent herself. Right. And um, she was doing an incredible job doing it. And I just loved the way she took me under her wing. I mean, the first time I had sushi was with her. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she really knew that I was a country bumpkin uh -huh. from Newark, New Jersey. And she really tried to um, tried to educate me mm -hmm. um, about life and the business without, you know, forcing me yeah yeah so i would say that i i owe, great. yeah i really owe her a lot yeah i um i tried to get her on here a few years ago and her people turned me down unfortunately what? i don't know maybe i'll ask them again now that you've been on here yeah. too and ask uh, her again i will okay well look uh dolette i just you're just a name and a face that i associate with my upbringing you know my my formative years when i'm paying attention to music and who's doing what and who are the personalities and who do i want who do i like to listen to who do i want to look like you know you're one of those faces that was so ever present during those formative years and i just have always wondered what your story is and i'm, I'm really honored. grateful you talked to me i am so honored and thank you so much for for reaching out because this is this has really been a delightful conversation i agree i agree this is one of my favorite ones i gotta be honest <laughs> i've been doing this for four years and this is one of my favorites i loved it
Well, I'm going to start listening to your show because the the um, the uh, ones that I that you sent me, I just enjoyed so much. Well, thank so, you. yeah, continued success because this is great. Thank you, thank you so much, Dolette. I really thank appreciate you, it. John. There you have it, Dolette McDonald. I love that one. I love her. In fact, uh, it was interesting. Right after this, we finished. She sent me an email. It was so nice, and she said. You know, I could have kept talking forever, and I thought I had the exact same feeling, but I never, you never know whether you're, you know, keeping somebody or they're, you're annoying them or whatever. So we may have to do a part two with Dolette sometime because you just know she has stories up the wazoo of all these people. By the way, I think that was the third time in the last few weeks that Tears for Fears' Year of the Knife specifically came up in conversation. Her, Randy Jacobs, and Dave Bascom. Isn't that interesting? I didn't plan that. Now, let me tell you, um, if you Google Dolette McDonald, an article that was published earlier this year pops up called, I believe, The Incomparable uh, Dolette McDonald or something like that. It's the first thing that pops up. came out earlier this year. And it's an excellent article. Very comprehensive. It includes YouTube clips of every song you could imagine that she has worked on. I got a lot of ideas from that article. Well, earlier this year, she collaborated with a group called FSQ, Funk Style Quality, I believe is what that stands for. And they put out a single called Shaking My Damn Head. And this is it. And so I wanted to kind of come full circle and show you the early days of Dolette McDonald and then also what she's doing today. The song is great. I highly recommend, in fact, I, I included a link in the description of this episode. So if you look at it, there's a link there. Just tap on that. You can read the article. It's great. Uh, now, next week, we are going completely the other way again. We're going Yacht Rock. Soft Sounds of the 70s. A Yacht Rock Titan. And that's a Paul Underwood production. So I think you guys are going to like that one. I hope you will. Um, as always, you know, you can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can... Um, Send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, huge thanks to Yan the Man Makevich for all that you do. Thank you, buddy. By the way, later this week, we should be putting out our next deep dive episode. Um, I say should be because <laughs> it might be a little bit of a bear to edit and produce for poor Yan the Man. So hopefully he's able to get that out later this week. If not, it might be next week. I don't know. But um, it's a good one. Rupert Hine, producer Rupert Hine, comes back on the show and we deep dive the Fixes Reach the Beach album. So that's coming up soon, hopefully later this week, okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>